Welcome back to another episode of the Quasar's Podcast, episode 41. Got a special guest with us today. Most of the folks on the pod just couldn't join me, so I'm like out here just trying to run this thing by myself. I don't know what's wrong with these people, but we got T from Fighting Cock here. Hello, hello. Thanks for joining. I know this was super last minute. I actually hit him up today. Like, uh, (laughs) hey, do you have time this, this evening for a chat? Um, so I appreciate you coming on super last minute. Um, it's five hours earlier here where I am. So I know it's probably starting to get late there. Um, so I'll try to, I'll try to keep it quick. First of all, I know you guys have been running fighting cock for a while now. So before we get into Spurs, cause you know, I'm going to try my best to avoid talking about Spurs for as long (laughs) as I can. Um, no, but seriously, it would be interested to hear, like, how did things kind of start with you guys? Obviously, you, you guys seem to be friends anyway, um, but yeah. like, how did it go from like a group to a podcast to kind of other things? And specifically from your perspective, like what was your involvement with it from its infancy to now? Well, I'll probably, I'll probably tell a two-tiered story. So the two of us all got started. Um, you have to bear in mind, none of us had met each other before the pod started. Only ah. um, so Flav and Ricky and Tetrunk, who's no longer on the podcast, they were they've been friends for about eight or ten years previous. But um, Spooky hadn't met um, Flav. Um, I think Chicago Dan was friends with Flav and Ricky anyway. Yeah, I think that's a whole lot. That's the five of them all. But I think um, one day Flav just um, he had it. I don't want to really slag off the Spurs show, but they're one of the first podcasts and they're very, very old school in their methodology and how they do their pod. But I think Flav thought that the Spurs space needed something new. So we won that. Like, he reached out to Spooky. Spooky responds. And emails go back and forth. And the pod started in um, summer of 2011. But um, my involvement was kind of random, actually, because um, I was, I'm a fan of boxing. And I'm talking about the fact that's coming from and Flav's in my mentions. And I hadn't met him at this point. So I'm just kind of going back and forth with him because um, it was George, Gro- George Groves and James DeGale. So those two were fighting. And I wanted DeGale to, and he wanted Groves to. And so we go back and forth. And then he says, oh, look, you know, I'm doing a podcast. And this is, you got to be a man, this is 2011. So podcasts aren't as ubiquitous as they are now. Right, yeah. And I thought, what am I doing on a podcast? I mean, I thought, well, sometimes it's, it's power in saying yes to stuff, you know. So I could have just said, no, I'm just not my thing at all. But I thought, well, why not? So I'd forgotten about the conversation, but the podcast starts. And I think in episode seven, um, Spooky couldn't make it. So Flav reaches out to me. I joined that pod. Um, I ended up doing pretty well, and um, the rest is history. But um, yeah, it's been going going twelve years, and um, we're all best mates now. There's been a couple of weddings. There's been a couple of weddings from fans of the pod, not alone, let alone within the pod itself. So it's um, it's crazy how it's blowing up, and um. I think it's good now that there's so many Spurs pods because there's something for everybody. They can't, I don't think there's anyone out there who is Spurs who can hate every single Spurs pod in existence. There's got to be something there for that caters to their opinions. But um, yeah, it's um, it's a bit surreal being part of the podcast. You know, you go to games and, you know, you get recognised and everyone thus far touch what has been very nice. And you know, I obviously appreciate that. But um, yeah, I don't think, when I first went on the pod, I didn't think it would be as big as it is now. I just thought it would just be, you know, a hobby. But, you know, um, all thanks, man. All thanks. So did you grow up in North London, Tottenham area? Or was um, that just kind of how you became Spurs? Or, Well, I was born in a place called Park Royal, which is near Harlesden. So that's northwest London. Um, you said it's Park Royal? Yeah, um, that's okay. kind of near, near. I guess place where people might have heard of is maybe Harlesden, which is a around <laughs> nice, pretty rough part of London. But it's northwest London, nearest clubs to there would be QPR, Chelsea, Brentford. But um, I, I thought it's quite it's very arbitrary. It's not one of those. My dad took me at the age of four and um, got into it that way. Older brothers or sisters. Um, I saw the '86 World Cup. I thought, God, you know, I really love football. So next season starts and um, 
I was just infatuated with Glenn Hoddle, which turned out to be his last season at Spurs. And the name Tottenham Hotspur just kind of struck out to me as a nine-year-old back then. And um, I thought, yeah, this is going to be my team. And, and that's it. That's essentially it. Um, been um, For many, many years, I didn't go to Spurs. Uh, none of my friends where I live supported Spurs. Everyone supported um, Liverpool or Man U or, dare I say, Arsenal. But there weren't many Spurs fans around. And I think... Um, there was one day, I, I think there's figures might have been on some sort of football form, or someone said, oh, How do you become a member of Spurs? I, I, this had never occurred to me. So um, I said, Oh, no, you click this link and da 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 da. So click the link, became a member, became a regular. This is probably about 16, 17 years ago. Been a regular ever since. Um, but there was no sort of um, no sort of family influence. And back then in the 80s, Spurs were. Very successful team, probably the most successful team in London in terms of um, winning trophies up until that point. You know, we'd won the FA Cup twice, 81 and 82, um, the UEFA Cup final. We won the UEFA Cup in 84. And that season, we'd um, we'd reached two semi-finals and finished third in the league. So, um, you know, we were doing amazingly. And I thought, you know, it's going to be like this forever. But um, we lost the Littlewoods Cup, another League Cup semi-final to Arsenal. And the FA Cup final against Coventry, we lost that. And um, yeah, I think that's probably a sign of things to come. Um, <laughs> and well, you talked year... about you talked so, about how like most of the people that you grew up with weren't Spurs fans. Was that yeah. like was that fun? Because it was kind of like an exclusive thing. Like I'm the Spurs fan, and you guys, or was it? Did you feel like a sense of separation from everybody else, or was it kind of like an exclusive thing to be Spurs? I, I have to be honest. Um, Growing up, football wasn't as ubiquitous as it is now in England. It's not something that everyone spoke about. I mean, um, the Premier League started in '92, but before the Premier League started, it's not it's not wall to wall football. It's not like um, every day you're talking football, football, football. I mean, um, right. I was unique in supporting Spurs. There weren't many of us around, but um, I don't. It's difficult to compare the banter of today to back then because now football's everywhere. You've got 24 hour rolling news on football. Um, you know, obviously you've got the internet and you got you got all the newspapers, all the back pages. But back then it wasn't I don't think it was one of those where every day Spurs, Spurs, Spurs. It's just um you support your team and that was it. I guess it's a bit like politics, I suppose. Um Yeah, I guess that's gro- right. Growing up, you wouldn't know who half of your mates voted for because it just wasn't a factor. But now you know who everyone votes for, and now you know who and now, you know, everyone supports for in, in football. That's kind of how life is now. Back then, um, it wasn't quite as partisan as, as it is now, I'd say. So what about like now that you've been on Fighting Cock, you talk about going to the stadium and people recognizing yeah. you. How much of your life outside of football do you have like Spurs fans versus like fans of the other clubs? Because obviously growing up, there's, you yeah. know, the one thing about being in the States is, I can I can avoid Arsenal Chelsea fans as much as I want because you know I just don't talk to them. <laughs> it's not like yeah, I'm gonna yeah, see yeah, them yeah. when I go to work. Um, there's very few people. It, it's kind of like a a small community that cares a lot. Um, but if I want to avoid English football, I just can because it's not yeah. really everywhere here. So it, I'm I'm curious to know like how much that plays into the day to day in terms of like people trying to talk football with you or having mates that are supporters of other clubs, stuff like that? It's kind of, um, I guess it's a bit of a two-part, okay, before I joined the pod and after I joined the pod. Um, so beforehand, um, I would get a lot of grief, you know, because, um, yeah, the two points to make games when Ramos was our manager and he gets a sack and I was getting grief every single day about, you know, and then there was a Lasagna Gate in 2005, um, yeah right. <laughs> so so Campbell joining Arsenal. Um, I remember that very vividly. Got a lot of stick about that. But over the last fifteen or so years, I kind of built up a community of loads of Spurs fans. So I feel somewhat insulated from yeah having two interactive fans who don't support Spurs. And a lot of the, a lot of my friends they don't they don't really they support a team, but they're not as into it as I'm. They don't have season tickets. So they're not. They're not diehard. They're not, they're not like scratching around for streams, watching games. They're just kind of, um, they have a team and I sit Whereas of me. They know that I kind of live it. So I don't tend to get a lot. And to be fair, I don't really give it out. I don't, I don't really do the whole back and forth banner thing. I mean, even on Twitter, I'm not like, um, 
at an Arsenal fan saying, oh, you bottled the league. I kind of say that stuff in my own space and I kind of respect their space sort of thing. So um, I wouldn't say that there's there's a lot, a lot of back and forth and me, me and rival fans. And um, I think, and I think there's also an element of that. Spurs have been through so much that there's not much more they can say to me. I guess it's kind of like um, Eminem saying how crap his life is. So I've said all the bad things he can I can say. So what can you say about me that I've not already said? So right. <laughs> it's, it's a bit like that with Spurs. It's like, well, because someone sent me a picture the other day. Um, it's in black and white. There's a dinosaur. They said, this is when Spurs um, last won the league. So I said, well, to be fair, we hadn't won the league when that picture was taken. Because I'm I'm a football nerd. These guys are football nerds. I said, this picture was probably from the 1930s. We won the league in 1951 for the first time. So if you're going to do a joke, make it work. Otherwise, give right. it a rest. And when I respond like that, they tend to leave me. And I was like, well, you know, it's not worth it. So from that way, I kind of escape um, a lot of the grief that other fans probably don't quite escape. So I have like a, a group chat with a bunch of friends who are people that I know from the States who are like fans of different clubs. And it's kind of like a, like a communal space where we could just talk about football at large. And the running joke in there about me is that um, I'm never, I never allow myself to get too excited about anything. So like, even if it looks like things are going to go well, I'll find a way to tell myself that it's going to all collapse. And it's like, the only way I'm going to get surprised is if something good happens, if something bad happens, <laughs> Right. Like you, the only surprises you can get are pleasant ones and meeting other Spurs fans, especially when I started following the club, I was like, oh, my goodness, like <laughs> this is a group of people that all think the same way. Like we all kind of have this self-masochistic cynicism about us. And I was I just knew right away, like, oh, this is the perfect club. Like <laughs> this is this matches this club matches my sensibilities so much. Um, and now it's it, you know, it feels like. With like the Chelsea fans and the Arsenal fans, it's like, see. I told you guys, it should have never got your hopes up. <laughs> you would have been able to deal with this season a lot better if, if you had taken my approach. But, you know, I guess that they, they learned the hard way. So we put it off long enough. <laughs> let's let's talk a little bit about where we are as a club. Obviously, things have kind of fallen off the rails. The big conversation right now is about who's going to be the coach, who's going to be the director of football, and then obviously where we're going to end up finishing. Right now, we are currently eighth in the table villa is seventh brentford is ninth and we're all about a point apart from each other so depending on how championship sunday goes we could finish seventh or or eighth or ninth um and all we can do is beat leads and hope that villa loses villa has let's see here villa has uh brighton so that's not going to be an easy match for them they are home though so you know we'll see what that means for them and then Brentford has to play Man City um, at Brentford. So they're both at home. We're away. But they've got City and Brighton, which are going to be tougher games, presumably, than Leeds, who are currently in the middle of a relegation scrap. So I guess before we talk about what we think might happen, what do you actually want to happen? Because I know there's a lot of conversation about, like, whether Conference League is actually a good thing. Is it better to just skip it and have one game a week? I I've I've been on the side of having one game a week. Um, we have got a proud record of finishing in Europe for the last I think fifteen or sixteen seasons. Um, we're always qualifying for Europe, whether it be Europa or or Champions League, and that's a good record. But I feel like um, Spurs aren't a team you can just sleepwalk to finals. Um, Chelsea do it all the time. They can have an average season, but they'll have reached a final and got a trophy here. Um, even off, I mean, we're seeing West Ham do it right now. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> believe it or not, God, that's that's the irony of ironies. And you got um, Arsenal, who even in their bad times, still reached FA Cup finals and won FA Cups. I don't feel, I don't feel there's a club that we can um, prioritize a league and kind of just sleep watching the Conference League final. I just don't think we have it in us. I'd rather just have one game a week, just to have a real stab at the league. Um, I don't think the situation is is that severe. Um, often reference the the Sherwood season, I felt hopeless then. But now I think we've got, I think we've got probably the bare bones of a decent squad. I think if you get in two or three more players, it could be, you know, back in the mix again. But I don't think the situation is too dire. It would be, I'd rather not qualify for Europe at all, but if we do, then um, 
Fuck knows, man. <laughs> I don't know. I, I, I see us going out in the second round if we go to the Conference League. Yeah, I mean, I, I've been on the fence about this. We, we actually talked about this on the last episode that I've kind of been, on the one hand, kind of feeling like this is going to be a waste of time. We don't seem to take these cups seriously enough to actually win them. When we take them too seriously, the fans get mad, especially when we play all of our starters and then lose anyway. Um, you know, losing to guy to teams with their manager in prison and all this other nonsense. Yeah. I almost don't want to have the distraction so that we can go play in Azerbaijan in the middle of a, uh, some Thursday just to lose 2-0 to some team of players I've never heard of. On the other hand, and I think this was an argument that that I heard made um, on Rule the Roost. He was talking about this, and I kind of, oh, I didn't think about it this way, but he was kind of making the point of like, well, you know, we're probably not going to be in a position to win the league right now anyway. So focusing on the league just to finish fourth or fifth, maybe it makes more sense to focus on a competition that we could actually win, like an FA Cup or like a conference league. And from that perspective, like that also kind of makes me think maybe it makes more sense to put all of our chips in that basket. I I think the the difficult thing to kind of balance between is this idea of taking like the league is the league. It's always going to be something that we're going to play seriously. It's always going to be the competition that we're going to play our best 11 in. And so like even if we don't have a realistic chance of finishing first or even top four for all we know next season depending on what happens this summer, it still feels like something that we're never going to not take seriously. We're never going to be like, oh, you know, we can play our kids on Sunday so that we can play our stronger team on Thursday. Like, that doesn't seem super realistic. So I don't know. Like, I I think a lot of it depends on this summer. It's hard to even project or predict what's going to happen next year anyway because, like, there's so many question marks still. Who's the director of football? Who's the direct uh who's the manager going to be are we going to have a back three are we going to have a back four who's going to be our goalie who's gonna who's going to be the transfers that we bring in we have like 29 different guys out on loan how many of those guys are are coming back and going to stay um and so like it's just i don't know the whole cane thing is up in the air it's hard to really say what makes sense uh in terms of predictions for next year because you don't even know what the team is going to look like I think um, um, I think the other issue is that if you if one of the first team players are in the Europa Conference League squad, they're going to think, well, I'm not going to play on Sundays. I'm, what's the point of me trying here if I'm not going to play? And that's what happens quite a lot of the time is that you have these um, you have these sort of um, half and half teams. You've got half first team players who think, well, I'm going to play on Sunday. Why do I give a fuck about this? And then have the kids who are probably going to be a little out of their depth. And that's what's happened historically in these lesser European competitions. I feel in in the Champions League, we have been able to raise our game because everyone playing in that 11 or, or even squad knows that they're part of something. Whereas in the Conference League, it just feels like, I think an interesting question is trying to think of our best performances in the Europa or Conference League in the last 10 years. And there's not many to really write home about. All our best performances have been in the Champions League. You've got um, the Gareth Bell hat-trick in, um, in Milan. You've got um, obviously Ajax away. Um, even the City away and home and away in that season when we reached the final. There's so many good performances in the Champions League. I don't, I just don't, I don't really recall any in in any of the lesser competition. Maybe. But why um, do you think that is though? Because you look at a club yeah. like like last year, Roma won Conference League. Now yeah. Roma's not, they're not Milan, they're not Juve, but they're they're a, a pretty decent club with a pretty decent history in Italy. They're not West Ham. And they were able to take it seriously enough to go and win the thing. So, like, why do you think our players, who haven't won anything in years, to be clear, it's not like they're above the competition, why aren't they able to kind of pull a Roma when it comes to Europa League? I don't know. I think um, it feels like there's something deep-seated at Spurs. It's like um, with a lot of these teams, it's normally a player or a manager who just pulls everyone together and gets them over the line. I don't feel Spurs have that sort of personality within the squad or as a manager to say, you know what, take this seriously. We need to do something here. I mean, Roma are managed by Mourinho, no less, who's you know well versed in in winning cup competitions, and and he even got Sevilla, who are probably the best example of a team who keep winning yeah. the Europa League. Yeah, and they're not going to win the La Liga. And um, 
I wouldn't mind having the last 10 years that they've had. But reasons why I think um the only thing I can really point is just a weak mentality. I don't think that um as I said, I don't think our players can just get things done, can sleep, walk to win and stuff. They feel always feel like a bit of a chore and it feels like it has to be all or nothing. And I don't feel that unless European competition, I feel in the Champions League where we beat um, Real Madrid 3-1 at Wembley, for example, every player gave it all. Every player was a 10 out of 10. I just don't, I just feel like unless the competition, just, the, the motivation just isn't there. And I just think it's just a weak mentality in the, in the club. It's quite bizarre. Like, We'll talk about this whole Spursy thing. I know people have a lot of different feelings about that. I think what makes it difficult for me to put a handle on is the idea of being Spursy, right? Is like connected to this club. It's not collected, connected to specific people. And it's difficult for me to conceptualize a club or an organization having a mentality. I mean, I guess it, it kind of makes sense in theory. But you have players that have won things before they come to Spurs. You have pl- plenty of players, examples of people who have, who have gone on to win things after. So it's difficult for me to say these players, like people who have won things other places, come to Spurs and suddenly they just forget how to do it. Or they suddenly don't have the mentality or the fortitude to be able to go and take certain competitions seriously. It's something that's been repeated with different sets of players, with different sets of managers. And so it's not like we're running out the exact same team that we had six or seven years ago, but you're still seeing a lot of the same commentary. Of course, I think the easy thing for people to point to is Levy, Enoch, it's all their fault. But they're not in the locker room, right? Like they're not on the pitch. And that's also something that I have a hard time really getting behind is like, Levy has made the environment so toxic that the players suddenly don't care about winning anymore. Like that doesn't really make sense to me. And so I don't know if it's just bad luck or what it is, but like, how is it that different sets of players with different managers, with different systems and different competitions all kind of seem to fall apart in these key moments, semifinals or, you know, round of 16s, group stages, things where it looks like they could really take advantage here. I mean, even looking at this season, you had opportunities where we could have finished in the top four and collapsed. We could have finished top six, collapsed. And now it's looking like we might miss Europe altogether. And I just wonder, especially for someone who's been following the team as as long as you have, like, obviously you're not in the locker room with them, but what is your theory on why that might carry over even across different teams and different sets of people? It's a difficult one to to really put your finger on. It's just that um, kind of when I say mentality, I'd feel that if we lose, there's no real long post mortem. We just go on to fight another day. We'll bounce back. It's okay. And there's some clubs that from, I think clubs that have a history of winning, and obviously Chelsea have kind of got that over the last 25 years or so, but some clubs have a history of winning and wherever you walk in the club is... I guess it's like, um, I mean, the bad example probably the Boston Celtics, considering what's, what's going to happen to them in the playoffs. But Boston have got all these um, banners in the, yeah. in the arena, right? And many players have gone in there, they see that, and they crack on. It feels like the Spurs that it doesn't, defeat doesn't feel terminal with them, you know? There's no, like, um, we lost against Zagreb, and that was one of our lowest points, to be fair. And... The post-mortem probably lasted. I mean, Hugo Lloris gave a long, passionate interview after the game. But then within a month, the manager's gone. They've lost another cup final. And it just goes on. It's difficult. I mean, we need a sort of um, a Dave Mackay type character. Someone who just um, would just win at all costs. And um, I don't know. There is, I mean, obviously, it's not Levy's fault that um, Potts played um, humans on that left back against um, Chelsea in 2017. Um you know, I don't right, think um, yeah. it, it's it's not Levy's fault that I think it was Dembele. I think pulled out of a challenge of Pogba against United in the following year's um, semi-final. There's not much that Levy can do about that. I just feel that um, in those moments we need someone to step up. It just doesn't feel like it's there. Um, you know, I mean, Kane's sort of game. Kane Kane isn't someone who can really you can really do. Kane's not someone who can be everywhere and be 
I don't know, like Stephen Gerrard talked before, he's like heading away corners and heading away crosses and next thing you know, he's setting up winners and stuff. I mean, he, well, he does have... it in the Prem. He does that. He does that every weekend. He can do. I mean, now he's captain, to be fair. Over the last, since Hugo's been out, he's been, as captain, he has been that guy. So, you know, maybe if he remains captain next season, maybe he can do that. But it's not something we've seen from him in, in big games. Um, you know, I mean, the I guess the story of the NBA players right now is Jimmy Butler. You know, he's big right. games, boom. I'm that yeah. guy. I'm going to carry the team on my back. It's Football isn't, it's difficult to do that in football. I mean, I guess you've got a best of seven, so you can kind of do it in, in basketball at smaller teams. But in all my times watching Spurs, it's difficult to find that many players who have just pulled us through. Um, Gareth Bale, I guess, in his last season, but then in the Cups, yeah, sure. we kind of, we, we never throw in Cups again. Um, my God. Yeah, it's... I mean, Kane, Kane is an interesting person to bring up here because I do feel like he has... I mean, granted, we're, we we could potentially finish ninth, so I, I don't want to get ahead of myself, but he's yeah. he's carried us a lot this season. I mean, even the fact that I think we're like fourth or fifth in the league in scoring right now, a lot of that has to do with the fact that we have one guy that's scored 28 goals by himself. Our defense is awful, one of the worst in the league, but even thinking about like the the restart year where we were behind closed doors, all the goals that he and Sonny were scoring – that kind of helped us to kick on the goals that he scored or assisted even last year. Obviously, Sun got the golden boot, but it feels like every year he finds these new ways to reinvent himself, whether it's leading the league in assists, most headed goals, breaking records. It feels like every week. And on a weekend and week out basis, it does feel like he, if, if we didn't have Kane on our team, we might be in a relegation scrap right now. Yeah. So yeah. he's carried us in a lot of, regular prem league matches but it feels like for some reason that doesn't happen in cup competitions um whether for spurs or for england quite frankly but it is an interesting thing and i do feel like it's it's difficult to compare it to basketball because you can kind of have one guy take over games it's harder to do that in football because i think you know 11 v 11 you have to depend on so many other people. Like it's way more yeah. of a team sport. I think that's the beauty of the sport is that it isn't so individualized. Sure. You have these Messi's and these Ronaldo's and guys that can do amazing things, but they've also had amazing teammates, right? Like they're not yeah. just out there doing whatever they want. It's not the same thing that you can't just Jimmy Butler your way to a, a championship the same way in the sport. Yeah. I think, um, I mean, it is, it is a slight against Kane. You know, stepping up when it counts, and it it probably is a bit harsh on him because he's carried his teams to. I mean, with the Champions League one in twenty nineteen, he was injured for a large spell of that. So yeah, and he got us. I think against Dortmund, he was amazing. Um, the last time before he got injured against That's Manchester true. City, That's so true. he he has he has done well in big games. But it's just um, I just wish we had um, I wish it was like a Jordan him and him and Sonny should be like Jordan and Pippen, really two guys who just spearhead stuff. And who knows if Kane stays next season and he remains our captain and we get slotting from Feyenoord and he's a success, maybe, maybe he cracks the code. You know, we've spoken for years about managers who are going to crack the code and win as a trophy. Um, I mean, we spoke about it when we first hired Poch and to a degree he did because I never dreamed that we'd be a Champions League regular. And now it feels hellish that we're, that we're out of it. He's changed the, the paradigm at Spurs and, um, you know, I mean, after we got rid of Poch, we thought getting a winner in Conte and Mourinho would get us over the line. But it's clear now that we've, we've tried that approach, doesn't work. So it's another approach now. So I don't know. What do we do? For, I don't know what we could do for an encore. <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, <laughs> I think you're onto something with the Pochettino thing. And, and, and something that I've talked about in previous episodes is this idea that whoever the next coach is, it has to be someone who really wants to be here. I think with both with both Mourinho and Conte, there was this sense of like I'm above this, like I'm I'm here to do you guys a favor, <laughs> right? Like I don't yeah. if if it doesn't work out, it's your fault because I've already won things everywhere else. And actually I'm pretty much bigger than this little Tottenham club, so just be happy that I'm here. And obviously that that didn't work for a multitude of reasons. So I I do think if for no other reason, 
the person who comes in needs to really want to see Tottenham thrive and do well and care about the club and want to see the club do well, because I think that's going to create a different level of investment that hasn't been here for the past few managers. I don't know who that person is. I'd be interested to hear your thoughts on it, but I do think whoever the person is needs to, number one, like I said, have that self-investment. But I also think there needs to be a lot more uh, creativity in when it comes to lineups, when it comes to using the academy. Like I think a lot of the problems that we run into with coaches like Conte and Mourinho were how rigid they were, not only in their inability or maybe not inability, but their uh, refusal to change lineups. But when in, when people get injured, because people always get injured, now you're scrambling. Now you're trying to figure out what can I do? You're throwing in kids who've never played. You're doing all these random things because you didn't give all the players on the team an opportunity to actually get reps. And you were talking about that earlier with like the whole A team, B team thing that we try to do with cup competitions and why that doesn't work. And it's not a sustainable method. I also feel like once you are too wedded to a system, it makes you predictable. I think what made Conte work in the first season when we finished top four, a lot of that worked to his detriment this past season, because it's like other teams know already he's going to do three, four, three. We already know how he's going to set up. We know how he's going to try to score. And it just makes it way too easy to game plan against you because you're constantly doing the same thing. You know, we have this running joke within my, we have, I have like a fantasy draft league with a bunch of my friends. And we have this running joke about like the, the man city curse, (laughs) because when you have man city players, they're great when they're scoring, when they're Gundogan or Holland, but the, the the downside of it is you never know if they're going to play or not because Pep changes his lineup so often. And it's funny, but it's also like, yeah, that's how he makes sure that 18 different guys are invested in winning and he can rotate his goalie or he can rotate his forwards or his midfield and they'll still win games. Obviously, their players are way better than ours. I'm not comparing us to Man City. But I think there is something to doing things differently so that, number one, people feel like they have opportunities to make a name for themselves. And number two, if you're in the starting 11, quote unquote, it's not like I can play like crap and I'm going to start again next week anyway, because he never changes anything. So, I mean, anyway, that's my spiel on, on the next coach, but I'm curious to know what are the things that you're looking for from the coach? And also outside of that, like, is there a specific name that you want to see us bring in? I mean, it's been it's been a bit of a roller coaster, um, to be fair. Isn't it always? Um, <laughs> it's not, we Con- haven't reached seventy two days yet, so we're still ahead of schedule. It's, it's crazy because when Conte first went, I thought Stellini's a safe pair of hands. Um, um, he he had a good record before, so I thought maybe he'll get us over the line. That went badly, so I didn't want Mason, but he's here now. So, thought fair enough. One more and, match, anyway. Yeah, and um. Uh, it's been a mixed bag, but he's taken over an absolute shit show. So, you know, it's difficult for Mason, really. And um, early on, Potter's name was there. Um, he had um, taken pictures of himself on the beach and, you know, always give dropping his little hints. I thought, maybe, maybe, maybe. And, and I felt if we need a unifying sort of manager. And then Nagelsmann's name comes in. And I was over the moon at that because he's, he's an amazing manager. But Something that struck me about him, and something you just said earlier on, was about um, wanting to manage Spurs, not thinking that they're doing us a favour. And there are elements of that in um, in Nagelsmann that he does think is doing us a favour. And yeah. and it's crazy that name keeps coming back because I'm thinking, well, if if negotiations are this tough, then I think maybe you've just got to like you know let it go because if you're, I mean, I, I understand that Nagelsmann's staff have all stayed at Munich so they have to probably get a whole new team together to manage Spurs so that might be an element of what makes it so difficult but um slot is someone's name who has come up a lot in the last week or so um I don't know loads about his tactics but he is playing I think it's 4-3-3 that he's playing so he's um playing semi-exciting football and he really really wants a job and that's something that's that has to count for an awful lot because um 
you know, we've had Mourinho, we've had Conte, who don't really want to manage Spurs. And I feel that, um, you know, we're, all the vibes I'm getting from Onslaught sounds very, very positive. And um, I'm, I don't know, I mean, I guess, I guess, I guess another factor would be um, what counts as success next season? Do we have to get top four again? Do we have to win a cup next season? Or is it good enough that you've got a manager who we believe in and he believes in us? When we lost games under Conte, it really, really felt like the end of the world. When we lost under Poch, not towards the end, that was pretty off, but generally we lost under Poch, it felt, it didn't feel so bad because this man's our manager. But when we lost with um, Mourinho and Conte, it kind of felt like... um, I don't know, your dad is not around much, comes around and you kind of let, <laughs> and, and, you, and you let him down and you keep that with you. And he's angry. Yeah, exactly. He's angry. And he's going to let know, you know. You know, he asked for a flattered screwdriver, you give him a Phillips and he's like, fuck's sake, come on. <laughs> and, but with Pochettino, it feels like, okay, you've let me down, it's okay, you know, give, give you a hug and it's all okay. And that's how I feel about Poch. And I feel that... Um, he's going to send you to your room and then he's going to talk about you when his friends come over. Can you believe what my stupid son did? <laughs> <laughs> I don't feel like content did that in, in his leaving rent as well. But um it slot kind of has slot has um I don't know it's a bit of an easy thing to say. He's got a bit of Martin Yo vibes about it. It seems very seems very fond of a hug. Got a sort of that Dutch affability. And um I think if we got him, it would be a good low-key, low-key appointment. You know, we've gone for the big names, it's not really worked. He wants to be at Spurs, and I hope that. You know, that faith is put in his project, even if it doesn't look so good early on, you know, because um, sometimes you have managers and things go wrong. And at the first sign, boom, they're gone. But maybe if I'm to say, you know what, we have faith in what you're trying to do, keep at it. Because when Ten Hag first came to the Premier yeah. League, it didn't look that great for him. And I thought it was going to go. And, you know, United are... Are they top four? I don't even look at the league table, Ali, because we're doing so badly. But um, yeah, they're in there. Um, they are fourth with sixty-nine points with a game in hand. So yeah, Liverpool aren't going to catch them. Yeah, yeah. So, so that's, that's that's a decent first season for them, really. And um, there's been a lot said about you know Dutch league tax. You know that um, a lot of managers and players come over here and don't do so well. Um, I think famously Frank de Boer came to manage um. Crystal Palace, and he was sacked within a month. And he'd won, um, I think he'd won four Dutch leagues in a row. And, you know, so a better pedigree than Slot's coming in with. And he came over here, did badly. I don't know what he's done since then. So there is that Dutch league tax with Slot as well. you got to kind of bear in mind. But of all the names linked to the job, I think I wouldn't be too sad if, if he became a manager, to be honest. One of the other concerns, obviously, is the director of football job. You know, a lot of people are saying it doesn't even make sense to hire a manager until we know that we have somebody to do that job, because without it, you know, you're kind of putting the new manager in handcuffs if there isn't someone there that's going to be able to pull the strings in the transfer window. I think there's a lot, obviously, that that needs to happen. For me, the biggest priorities are goalie and center back. Like, I think if nothing else, and I'm hoping it is more than just those two. But if nothing else, I think those are two positions that we absolutely need to backfill for. And it's baffling to me that we haven't been more proactive about trying to find someone to replace Fabio. This whole thing was going on in the background. Even when they hired him, there was there was potential that something shady was going to happen. They went through with the hire anyway. And to me, that was a sign that maybe they did their research, they did their due diligence, maybe it was going to be okay. And then there was more news that came out, I think, in January or December. A bunch of people at Juventus ended up like leaving their post, which was definitely not a good sign. And that should have been the moment where we said, hmm, maybe something's up here. Uh, We should start at least looking for backups. It doesn't seem like any of that happened because now he's been out of the job for like a month and we still haven't replaced him. So that that is concerning but i do think you know you, you mentioned about what would be success for next year and i think depending on how we finish this season is is probably going to have something to do with that if we finish outside of the europe places i would say at the bare minimum getting back into europe preferably top 6 would be the goal for next year i think the other thing and this is going to sound a little mushy and hokey 
But I think another big goal for whoever the manager is, is just to kind of bring a good feeling back. I think for Spurs fans this year, people who go to the matches, people who are watching it at home, people who are on Twitter, the vibes have just been bad. I mean, even the beginning of the season when we were winning games, it didn't feel good. And now we've reached a point where we concede, we lose a game. I was in the pub the other day watching a game. We lost 3-1. People weren't even mad. We're, like, we've reached a point of apathy where it's just like, yeah, this is what I kind of knew was going to happen. All right, whatever. Let's get another drink. And I think that's a really bad and dangerous place for your fan base to be when they're either constantly booing or just straight up not even showing up anymore. People are selling their season tickets way more than ever. And I feel like the, just the vibe around the club right now is just so toxic that I think to your point about the Pochettino era, like there needs to be a good feeling that comes back. Even if that means we finish sixth, but we're playing some exciting stuff and we have some great wins and maybe we actually win a game away at Anfield for the for first time. In a, and like, you know, just things that can make people look back at the season and say like, okay, you know, we didn't do everything I wanted us to do, but that was good and I'm feeling positive. I think regardless of win, lose, or draw on Sunday against Leeds, I think everyone is going to have a bad taste in their mouth when they look back at this season. And if you're running this club and thinking about who to bring in, yes, tactics, all of those things, their passion for the team, their passion for the club, but also like, are they going to bring a good feeling back? Because Conte and Mourinho were like the opposite of that. And I think you need to have someone that fans can get behind because at some point, if you're going through a rebuild, there are going to be rough patches. There's going to be, you know, some losing streaks where we don't look so hot. There's going to be games where we give up two, three goals and people are pissed off about the defense. And I think if we can go through that with a manager and a system and a future that we can believe in, those bad times won't feel so bad. And I think that's, that's an important factor that that needs to be considered. Um, regarding like who who's going to be the next person that comes in and not only who they are, but how you roll them out. Right. Like, I think that's another thing, like the, the Coy's Daniel letter, the weird Fabio Paratici video where it looks like he's in a, a, a bunker hiding from uh, Putin. Like those are, those are just PR disasters. Whoever the next person is that you bring in, you need to introduce him in a way that gets the fans actually excited about watching Spurs again. Cause right now we aren't. As, as I mentioned, I think it's ten years ago we had we had um, Tim Sherwood and um, I just remember just sulking and not going to any games. And when we had Pochettino, I just thought, um, I said to the Facebook post that he'll be gone by Christmas. And to be fair, it's tongue in cheek when I said <laughs> he'd be gone. But um, I think in football things can change very quickly. Um, I feel that since the new stadium, we've not had that warm feeling. We've had it in games. We've had it in fits and starts. Um, the ending of last season when um we beat Arsenal 3-0, that was wonderful. And um, you know, we beat I think we beat Newcastle 5-4-5-0, no, beat Everton 5-0, Doherty looked like Roberto Carlos all of mm-hmm. a sudden. And but it doesn't feel sustained that, you know, we walk up to the stadium and feel that warmth, we feel that happiness. Um, you know, we talk about the 16-17 season, and I think we always will until we win a trophy, but Going to that stadium that season just felt so warm, you know? And um, it's been a while since I've really felt like that watching Tottenham. And um, it's it's partly the manager. We've also got to blame some of the players. I mean, some of these players have seen four or five managers and some of them have got, a few of them have really, really got to go. But we Most just need... <laughs> to be fair. I mean... Yeah. I think um, but we need the manager to just try and tap into what can make the fans feel good for me? I don't want him to be like, um, I don't know. My dad was in the terraces when final beat Tottenham in the UA, what the UA for final in 74. I don't want that. I just want him to say, you know what? These are my beliefs. These are me. Spurs are a club. You can do big things. I want to be a part of it. Boom. Don't need anything small to see about, um, how, you know, you know about Spurs from the sixties and, you know, push and run teams. I don't need any of the history stuff. Just, be basic and say, you know what, I'm here to do a job. And, you know, I mean, look, we could lose him in a few years if he does really, really well. And that's a positive. I don't think we need to be at a point now where 
if players and managers do want to worry about them leaving, if they're doing well with us, that's a good sign. As long as there's continuity in what we're doing. You mentioned the director of football situation. Um, that is that is a problem in that um, it doesn't feel like there's any forward planning. You know, you mentioned the, the PR gaffes with um, Corey's Daniel and um, the parody <laughs> I do worry about... <clears throat> how the search for the director of football is actually going. Um, it feels to me like um, slot is available and it has to happen now. And I understand that because if we miss out on slot, then then yeah. we're kind of going down, it'll keep down the line, down the line. So I understand that, but it does feel, I don't have full faith that the club know, know what they're doing. Um, oh, and, not at all. And and, no. and, if slot, <laughs> and, if, and if slot overachieves, that's great. I don't think he's bringing the director of football with him. So... I don't know. Well, you know, then it you know it kind of goes back to the Pochettino thing where we go two windows without making any transfers. Like, I, yes, I think if we can get a good coach in, yes, get him. But you know, like I was saying earlier, I, I do think that you're hiring him with 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 his hands tied behind his back if you're not giving him a system to to be able to do well, and so. In an ideal world, you'd get the DOF in first before you get your your manager. But whether they get him first, second, or otherwise, I do think both of those positions need to be hired for like in the next month, at the very least. Because how how are you going to do business? You're going to go back to the system that we were using four and five years ago when everything was a hot mess. Like I I don't think that that's setting slot up for success either. A lot of a lot of questions that we don't have answers for. We'll see how everything plays out over the course of the next month. Before I let you go, we do this thing on this pod where we kind of preview the next game and we make predictions. So we've got one left. Thank God. It's almost over. Um, leads away. Like I said, they're in the middle of a relegation scrap. This is a match that's going to be very interesting because based on how the bottom of the table looks you've got Leeds, you've got uh everton and leicester city all fighting for one spot and everton has 33 points leicester and Leeds both have 31 so pretty much they have to win and hope for help in order to be saved so you imagine that they're gonna basically put it all out there they're gonna be at home um ellen road's gonna be a zoo our guys like I said earlier, are potentially fighting for Europa Conference League, which they may or may not even care about. Our form on the road has been atrocious. I think we've won one out of our last nine road games, something like that. So all signs point to this not being a very uh, a very kind way to end the season. I'll, I'll defer to you as our guests with your thoughts and prediction for the match. Well, um. Many months ago, I looked at this fiction. I thought I'm actually going to try and go. I never, I've actually never been to Ellen Road. I thought I'm going to apply for a ticket for this because it could be a sort of coronation of us as a great club. You know, us, us breaching top it's four. Be a again. coronation or something. Oh God, yeah, be like more than a red <laughs> wedding. But, um, so I, I, had, I had all these optimism going into the final fixture of the season. Now I'm just, I just want the season to be over and done with. I don't think we'll win. We've not won out of London since October or something crazy like that. It might have been Brighton, funny enough. Lots of people out of London away. So it's not looking great. Leeds will be hungry because um, they'll obviously, obviously they want to start, but they're also they're managed by Sam Allardyce, whose teams are very, very industrious. And Spurs do have a bit of a soft centre in that. When we can see the goal, we seem, our heads seem to drop. And that happened against Newcastle. We conceded the goal, fell apart, boom, six, five, six goals going the other way. So... I'm not terribly optimistic about the game on Sunday. I've just seen an, um, a notification that Eric Dab is out for the rest of the season. So, well, that's it, good news. Yeah, yeah, I suppose. Well, I mean, the rest of the season is one game, and he hasn't played the last two yeah. matches anyway. So, yeah, and, yeah. Anyway. I mean, I, I'm I'm not too fond of Eric Dab. I think he's just there in the squad. But that's another that's another conversation. But um, I, I, I think I think Needs will probably will probably do us. Um, this. It's a sad state of affairs because we've got a talent to be putting three or four on them. But um, I think we're at such a low ebb at the moment that I can just see Leeds um, pouncing on that, especially with um, what's at stake for them. If they were safe, 
then maybe I feel a bit better. But um, I just think it's just got um, leads leads upset all over it. Three one leads. Okay, yeah. So I've been thinking about this too. I'm actually going to say three two leads, and okay. that's because both of our teams have awful defense. <laughs> so I think it's going to be a game with goals in it. I think they're going to give it up because they've been giving it up all year. And so have we. And if I look at the numbers in 37 matches played, Leeds has had more goals scored against them than anyone in the Premier League at 74. And Tottenham has given up 62. So we're not that far behind <laughs> them. I mean, no. these are these are two teams that can't stop anybody. So That's I don't true. think we're going to be able to stop them and they're not going to be able to stop us. I see at minimum both teams scoring two goals each. But like you said, I think they're going to have a little bit more if it's down to the last 20 minutes of the game. I could see us just kind of falling apart or not caring as much about the results. They lose, they're going down. Um, and especially for a club that took so long to get back up to the Prem League, like I think... Yeah especially with their home crowd behind them, it should give them a second gear that I don't think Spurs are going to be particularly invested in enough to match. So um, I'm going to say they score three and we score two, and then we can finally put this season to rest. Thank God. Um, yeah, thank God. It's been a pleasure. Thank you again for the super last minute join. Um, no worries, it's, man. it's so funny kind of <laughs> the way that we connected was so random and I don't know how many people even know about this, but like, I think we connected on social media somehow talking about Spurs. And then I would see you post things about hip hop. And then we kind of interacted about that. Yeah. And then when I put out my album a couple years ago, I sent it to you on a whim, just like, I don't even know if you're going to want to listen to this, but check it out. And then I, and then you guys had me, you and John Bass had me on your hip hop podcast. And so, um, and then even when when DC Spurs came to, to London this this past February, we got a chance to meet. So that was pretty cool. Yeah. But, you know, I appreciate um, all of that support that you've given to my music, but also coming on the pod today has been um, a pleasure, especially when when my co-hosts left me out to dry. <laughs> <laughs> so good, man. <laughs> Hopefully, I right. come back after this. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we'll, we'll see what we'll see what happens. Uh, one more to go. It's almost over. Come on, you Spurs. Come on. <laughs> <laughs>